listening to It's Complicated with your hosts, Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. Hello, Master Daters. Welcome back for another episode of It's Complicated. The struggle is real when you're dating in the city. I'm Jen. And I'm not Jen. And I'm also not pregnant anymore. No, you're not. Oh my goodness. We have a new member of our village. She's here, finally. Yay. Yay. Guys, we're your resident best friends. We're here to help you along your relationship journey, as well as through everything that is going on right now. That's right. Think of us as your very own fun fairies. We are trying our best to bring joy to the process of dating and relationships, and especially right now, just some some extra joy and love and light. We're sprinkling love dust all over the place because Lord knows we all need it real, real bad, and we also know it takes a village, and we are your community, especially right now. We're all in this together, and we're all connected, so we just want to to throw a wider net on what we mean by that and and definitely in dating and relationships, but just also in general. You can find us at It's Complicated Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell a friend and also be a friend. Be a friend. Connect if you can. Share this with people that you think might benefit from this, that you think might want to just tune out for a second or that you think that might want to just listen to something kind of light and, you know, zone in and focus on, you know, maybe um, something brighter, like connecting with people eventually when all this is over. Basically, we're trying to tell you, have a positive outlook if you can. Like the goal is, is that we all connect and make connections and realize that we're all brothers and sisters and you know dating is 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 hard and life is hard and we know that right now there's a lot of major things going on but if you just feel like taking a walk and listening to a podcast and you think your friend can benefit from this or somebody you know then share it with them it helps us you know, spread the love, like what we're trying to do and contribute to the village that we're all a part of. So, you know, just try to take a deep breath, everybody, if you can. So the world around us is more complicated than ever before, but thankfully we've got Lauren back from her month of maternity leave. So that is one thing that is back to normal and we can rely on that consistency moving forward. Today, we're going to bring you up to date on all things baby my experiences with dating during COVID and now all of the things going on in our city, uh, specifically LA, and how we're both coping again, you know, with everything that is going on right now. Obviously, we're all concerned about the environment that we're in, like Jen said, with COVID and now with all of these, you know, riots and racial injustices that are being brought to life. So clearly, you know, we're talking about dating relationships and, and my pregnancy. And we're going to talk more about that now because those things are still happening to people. And, um, you know, it makes things hard and changes the landscape, but like, I am just going to, to talk about me and my experience for a second. Like I'm not pregnant anymore. Everyone, I have the baby (laughs) and I'm really thankful. I'm trying to like take days to look at positivity and positive things and things like that. And I'm thankful that uh, everything was easy and healthy and minus the heartburn because that baby has a lot of hair. And allegedly when they have a lot of hair, they cause a lot of heartburn. And 
weird for me it was so true and maybe it's like an old wives tale I don't know if there's like any scientific like connection there but it was real bad um and other than that like everything was great um and I'm really happy to like have my body back to myself and like move and do things that I used to do with ease because it gets hard like towards the end but like obviously all totally worth it and I would do it like four billion times all over again just to like have him I'm not complaining I'm just saying like it did get kind of uncomfortable and hard um and so you know I'm like pumped I've already had sushi like a billion times and like wine and although I had my glass of wine here and there when I was pregnant I will say I am really scared to um get drunk because of the whole pump and dump and like what yes kind of like and I'm a little bit of an anxious person I don't know if there's anybody else out there that has just had a baby that's listening and like I think that like all this stuff that's going on with the world with like the whole racial injustices and the riots and all of that and COVID like it's making me more anxious and I'm sure it's doing that to people too like if you have anxiety like it's maybe making you feel anxious because it's just scary in general and for whatever your own reasons are why it's scary but like I feel like I'm like, if I were still pregnant, I'd probably be like, God, I wish I could have a drink or two or whatever right now. But like, I'm afraid to have like more than a glass of wine because not the pump and dump. I have done it actually, because I've had like a glass and then like a little more and started to feel the effects of the alcohol, like just slightly. And I'm like, well, I guess I have to, I have those testing strips, but I can't find them. And I'm just like, ugh. so I guess I'm just more like, I am afraid to feel hungover. Like, because I get woken up in the middle of the night to feed him. And then like, I can't feel like I'm already tired and all those things. So I'm just like terrified to get hung over. Like, it does not like, I don't want to feel that thing. I've gone so long without feeling it that I'm like, I know I'll get drunk and like, just do it one time. But I'm like, so it takes less to make us hungover. I'm just like terrified, which I never really anyway. Um, but you know, uh, just like, like I was saying before, I'm just really trying to like find the silver lining and everything. And I know this is a happy time for me personally, cause I have a baby, but like, it's hard when there's like, it's scary. Like, am I going to have to like run out of the house? Because I live kind of close to like a bunch of stores that could like potentially be looted, I guess. I don't know, like if that's going to be a thing or not, but I'm like, ah, is there a plan of escape here? Like, um, you know, but Anyway, I I think that, you know, I'm I'm happy to be back and, you know, doing this and 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 talking to you and interviewing people that, you know, are experts on things that make us feel good about um finding love and and it's all about love at the end of the day, right? Like we're all trying to just love each other and when that feels like it's not happening, people get angry and upset and hurt and it goes deeper than that, but we're here trying to just remember that. Absolutely. And just to touch on your note about hangovers, so or like consuming too much right now. So obviously, you have your reasons for it. I've actually been more um, worried about consuming not even because of COVID. And like, I actually know that it does like dehydrate you. So you're more likely to catch something. But it's actually related to like my safety. And and granted, again, and this is going to sound how it sounds. And I think we're going to touch on this a bit later, but it might be polarizing. 
I want to have my wits about me in case I am in danger for yeah, whatever. Of course. And I get it. I have white privilege. I don't face danger most of the time. I, you know, we are also women, which we face our own dangers. I'm also Jewish. I face my own dangers there. So yeah. while, you know, I'm not getting pulled over and killed, thank God. And that's a fucking horrifying thing that is even, I'm embarrassed to be a human when that is still yeah. happening in the world. So, like the fact that it's even in 2020, I feel like we're living in the year that we thought would be the Jetsons where cars flew and everyone was equal and all of those things. And it's not the case. And you and I come from very like melting pot cultures and we're not those people. So for us, it's easy to say like, this doesn't affect us because we're not those people. But unfortunately in other places it does. And now it's here in our backyard and, and it's we're facing it. And I think, mm-hmm. again, it's our job to face it and to take action. But I am trying to balance right now how I feel about the racial injustices of the last 400 years with my own safety, because ultimately sure. I live alone. I'm not lonely, but I am alone. Um, yeah. I have to protect myself. And I live on the first floor of an apartment building with giant windows. And when they tell me there's a protest down the street, I'm a bit concerned that. Sure. Looting will take place in areas that, you know, might affect residences because that's, you know, the looters are potentially taking advantage of the message that's being dispersed by these protests. So obviously I want to be safe. So I, the long, the long and short of it is I want to have my wits about me. So while I want wine to relax, I want to feel a semblance of normalcy while I'm educating myself, while I'm speaking out about things, while I'm also still trying to online date while I'm trying to not catch COVID while I'm trying to be a good dog mom and train her, even though that training's going to shit because I am too preoccupied with other things. I'm also still trying to like make an income. All of the things are weighing on my heart, but I'm like, you know what? I got to have my wits about me because I've got to react to all of these different stressors and probably drinking too much is not the right answer right now. I need to have my own awareness and be able to react. That makes total sense. And I think having a glass of wine here and there, we all know like that's a part of a lot of people's lives. It happens. Be honest, to be I'm drinking of- wine right now. Yeah. <laughs> it happens to be a part of ours. We talk about it all the time on the show. We have drinks, you know, nightcaps. We do. So for us, it's a, a very normal thing. We celebrate life with a drink and that's how we do it. But if that is something that now you need to reconsider, which is so small on the spectrum, I'm just saying like, Life is happening. That's what I'm talking about. Like people are having babies. People are doing things right now. Life is still happening. So you can't ignore those things and worry that you're going to be told you're being insensitive because you're discussing how your life is going and then being affected by what's going on. That is the truth of how this all is. And we're all trying to work out how to respect everything that's happening and continue our life because nobody's life can stop. We all have to keep going and we all have to keep going together. And that's the whole point. So yeah, life is happening and you're trying to figure out how to make it still happen while keeping in consideration, like there might be a safety issue at some point, or now things are going to look different. And I had came from, you know, I'm from the Bay area and I was fortunate, I think, to be in and around a bunch of different races all my life. Um, Like most of my schooling was pretty like integrated with a bunch of different types of people. And I've never seen 
racism necessarily like uh, nothing that sticks out in my mind that is traumatizing or I, I and maybe that's just the time and place that I came from I'm thankful that I'm not saying it doesn't exist I'm just saying I'm thankful that I don't ever have those feelings like I don't I to me I'm so weird odd weirded out is not the best word but like I'm like people get pulled over and like treated differently because of the color of their skin. I mean, I understand that it happens, but I'm like almost kind of shocked by it. Like, wait, what? I don't understand why. Like, because I come from a place, I think, you know, and unfortunately that's the case. There are places in the United States and in the world where you come from a place and that's not the case. I don't, I, I don't remember hearing or worrying about anything like this. I'm white, so I didn't, but I have tons of friends that aren't white. I don't remember that being a problem for any of them. Um, I have the same exact like memory of growing up, like public school, private school. I always had black friends. I had Hispanic friends. I mean, Lord knows I'm from Miami. So like everybody's everything. It's the ultimate melting pot. Like most people think I'm the minority because I'm white from Miami. So they're like, are you sure? Like, where I wish yeah. that I had something going on here, but super white and boring. I'm still trying to learn languages. Um, yeah. But I was telling a friend the other day that like, that's my perspective as well is like, I've never physically seen it or felt it or been around it. And my friends were my friends, whatever color they were. I mean, it didn't matter to me because we were all at the same school. We were growing up together. We were in the same classes. It's not like, and it wasn't any different to me or to them. I mean, they didn't express to me. That's the thing. I think they didn't express to me how they were different because they wanted to fit in. And so I wasn't made aware of how they particularly felt while maybe their parents were treated differently outside of obviously our class because they're, they were in their own lives, but I wasn't made privy to those things. And I think parents, a try and shelter their kids if they can and protect. And I'm sure you probably feel some sort of semblance of that right now because you are protecting your baby, but like, my friends in school weren't like, man, you know, we face these racial injustices passing notes in our algebra class. So I like, we would just all hang out and they weren't mad at me because I was white. I wasn't mad at them because they weren't like, no one cared. We were just doing school. So we're the, we are the minority of humans that face that because ultimately there are people everywhere that face this shit all yeah. the time and they feel, you know, marginalized, discriminated against, um, lesser than, treated lesser than, scared. And they, they walk that life every day. So I think we were in the, the 1% of the amazing experiences we had, which I wish were the norm. And I guess that's oh, right. is we're not racist, but we need to be anti-racist. And that's what everyone's posting about is like, we need to do more than just have our friends. Yeah, be That's it. I think too, is that I think I'm now seeing that like, just because I didn't see it, not to myself, I, I wouldn't have expected to see it happen to me because I'm aware that I'm white. I understand that. I'm saying I didn't see it to my friends that were not white or the people that I dated that were not white. Or and You are known for dating black guys and no, no one's ever said anything about it other than like, that's just your type. And it's not like, like my type might be like douchebag. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, also, you know, I always said this too, like I 
have dated more than I am white. I've dated other people besides white people. Black, an Asian guy. Asian. I had a Japanese listen boyfriend. And that is just because it's not like, well, look, I'm not racist. I'm just, that's, I love who I love. Like, I think that that probably means that I don't have a prejudice or a racist thing happening, but like, I'm not going to claim like I'm the end all be all because I've dated other people that don't have the same skin color as me. I just, that's how I feel. I don't remember hearing any of them tell me stories about feeling racially profiled or anything like that. And and that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. And that's the thing. I think people probably don't talk about it. And Absolutely. it probably happened to all of them. And so, or some of them in some way, I'm sure. So just like injustice has happened to everybody, I felt treated unfair before. I'm not trying to say in a way like my life was in danger. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I'm just saying we all have felt it. But racially, I feel like I don't remember hearing anybody say something like that to me. And I feel like I would remember that. And now I'm realizing that it's going to take that next step to now say like, just because I didn't see it, thankful or not, doesn't mean that it wasn't happening. I'm not saying that I didn't know it existed. I did. I'm aware that it exists. I'm just saying to me, it was like, wait, that really still happens that much because the environment I was in wasn't that way necessarily. And so it's sad and shocking to me that people think that way because I'm a little more closed-minded. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, that's a thing? Like, what? You, I wouldn't say you're closed-minded. I would I'm just closed-minded, like need aware. It's like tunnel vision because I'm like, what do you? Are you seriously doing that? Like, I'm like, that's not really a thing, is it? Like, come on. It's so unfathomable. I think yeah. in the way that we grew up to feel that people have so much hatred when we have so much love. So yes, exactly. With love, you love. If you're raised exactly. with hatred, you hate. So. And then that's because that becomes your norm. It's like very similar to what we say about dating and relationships. Like when you're used to a toxic environment, you seek out toxic environments because you're comfortable with that. So there it's like a cyclical, horrible, toxic, terrible. I mean, we don't have the right words, but I will say I dated a guy for like the briefest of moments, the briefest. So dated is probably not the right term. I did sex with a guy who, I mean, he, we had a relationship as far as like friendship and like knew each other well, but he is Hispanic and I am obviously me and we, he liked me, but then he also hated me. And he would say things like you're white privilege or you're Jewish. So you don't know, or you're, and he would take jabs at me. And I'm like, I cannot tell you that I can change my culture, my skin color. I can't change how I was born and raised. So you either like me for who I am, which is very much into you, or you hate me because I'm me. Like, I I don't know how to help you here, but like, we probably can't proceed if you don't actually like what I embody to you. So either you got to resolve that in you or we're probably not the right fit. But, um, It wasn't like I did anything to him. It was his upbringing and his view on me and my white privilege. And I'm like, you also have to, like, I guess my overall theory, not theory, but like my overall take on everything is, and I'm not in it, and this is not directly affecting me, is everyone is different. Not all white people are good. Not all white people are bad. Not all cops are good. Not all cops are bad. Not all cops are white. Some are Hispanic. Some are Asian. Some are actually black. They're not killing each other. Like, black people are not trying to I don't think black cops are killing black people but like I hope I don't I don't think I've ever seen anything like that but then you don't know if that's happening or not like in the world of every possibility 
clearly our minds are being blown daily by things that are occurring. So the 2020 is like the year of the horror movie and we're living it. But uh, it's like one episode of Black Mirror. I actually say all the time that I'm like, I'm feeling like I'm looking down, watching a documentary in the future about what's happening right now. If that makes any sense at all. Oh, yeah. No, I feel like I'm in a movie all the time. I'm like, this is not real. It doesn't feel real. And sadly enough, well, COVID hasn't been around for a while, but, you know, racism and all that has. And it's whatever. Whatever we got to do to make this better for our people, fine. I would like small businesses and places with people that, like, now don't have jobs because their business was looted, you know, and they've just been trying to survive because of COVID. It's like a one-two punch. Like, You can't expect people to be their best and to thrive and to feed their families if you take their jobs from them after their jobs were just recently opened. Like, how fair is that? It's horrible. I really do. My heart does go out to everyone who is affected by everything that's happening right now in whatever way that looks at small, looks like small, big, all the things. But that really is kind of heartbreaking to see, you know, people on the news saying like, I was just ready to open my business and now it's, that's it. We have to close our doors forever. Um, Obviously it's not worse than what's the whole cause behind all of this is clearly, but it's just like, there's so many levels of heartbreak happening. And the only thing we can do here is make a change, figure out how to make a change for the better, what that looks like for you. And for me, that for me, that's not like going out and, um, you know, looting a store. I, I know that there is a history behind the meaning behind that in a way, but I don't, that's not how I feel like a change is a positive way to make a change. In my opinion, I have a child and I think that's where I start is like trying to figure out how to raise this child to, you know, have love behind his eyes with everything that he looks at. And I feel like that's how I live my life and he can do it times a million, but he needs to know that this exists and that this is a thing and that he can make a change by loving and supporting and, and, you know, not judging people, um, no matter what skin color, religion, sexuality, all of it. Well, I know you, so I know your son is in good hands as far as being aware of all of this and being loving and not the opposite because there's just no world, you know, with his two parents and his family that he's and his village that he's going to ever be the anything other than the most loving of guys. Um, I also think that like, you know, we always say, do your best as far as like even dating and relationships goes like, Don't ghost people if you can avoid it. Tell people how you really feel. Treat people with respect. Don't lead somebody on if you know you don't want a relationship. Um, All of the things we promote across this show is really from the perspective of treat each other with love as much as you possibly can. And if you can't, then don't involve yourself with them because that's loving in itself is to let people live and not interfere with that. That being said... What is it like being a new mom amidst all of this that, I mean, you had a baby during COVID. Now there are protests and riots and looting. What on earth is happening in your house? It is, 
you know, like I said, it's anxiety producing. And for me, I deal with anxiety anyway, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that can relate. So it does make me feel more anxious. Um, just about like the world I'm bringing my child into. And then like, is this like, what is the world going to look like for him? Like, uh, is there going to be COVID wise? Like, is he going to ever have like a regular schooling sort of a thing? Or, you know, um, is he going to, you know, be able to, I don't know, be a, I, there's just, there's so many different things going through my mind. Like, it's so everything feels so unsettled right now and like constantly changing, right? Like every day we wake up and there's something new that's different. So it, it feels hard to even wrap your brain around what his life might look like. But I just take try to take it day by day. Living in the moment is a hard thing for me. So that's something I'm trying to grasp right now. But if, I mean, but of all the years to do that, this is the year to do that because we literally yeah. live day to day with the information we're given with the the illnesses that are being passed around with the openings in the city, with the protests in different places. I mean, you really don't know what's happening at any turn. Exactly. So we just have to focus on the, the right now and, um, you know, just watching him grow and, um, get, you know, just being part of a family unit. And like, I just moved. So we're like kind of putting a house together when we can. And, um, you know, it's like, it's fun, but it's, in perspective of things that are happening, it can be a little anxious sometimes, but like, you know, it also being a new mom has its own anxieties too. So it's that. And it's, I'm hoping that this will all pass and we can move into like a lighter, more loving environment sooner than later. But that's the other thing too, is just trying to keep like a, a happy attitude about it all. Like it, it within the perspective of that, it, I'm hoping for better things to come in the future. And that is all we can hope for. Yeah. You know, it's great that he also is too young to know what's going on. So that's a positive. Right. Um, and you can arm yourself with information and a plan for how to proceed as things unfold. But speaking of living day to day, you literally went into labor out of nowhere, out of nowhere. Uh, two weeks early, or wasn't it a week, two weeks yeah. early? was two weeks we were at um the new house that we were about to move into and we were telling ourselves okay tomorrow we're gonna come back wash all the baby clothes because everything was here all the baby supplies and we were going back to our old house like okay we'll go back in the morning we'll wash all the baby clothes we'll set things up we'll put the car seat in the car we'll do all that well we get home from just doing stuff around the new house we get to the old house and I take a shower and drying off and there's like trickling happening like it's almost like, you know, it's like obviously when your water breaks, it's like different for every, you know, it can be like a gush or it can be like a trickle. This, so it's kind of like unclear when it's a trickle, right? You're like, wait a minute, is this, huh? But I was like dry. I wasn't like in a running shower, so I could tell. But I was like, but this isn't like, it's not pee, but it's not like what is going on. Wait, I have a question for you. I mean, I have 72 questions for you, but we'll start with this one. Did someone warn you or did you yeah. do research? Because like, I remember hearing you were in labor and like, I immediately started Googling, going down a rabbit hole of like, what is um, 
your water breaking look like or sound yeah, yeah. or feel like? Well, I personally had a doula who could not be with me at the hospital, but she did educate me um, and teaches a birthing class. And so I knew the steps. Like I knew what happens when your water breaks. It can be a trickle or a gush. There is, and hey, listen, we're going all for it here, a mucus plug that is released. Like that can be a sign too that your water broke and it looks kind of like a snotty mucus plug like what you think it would look like that's just like part of your anatomy it's like a barrier and protector to um like the inside because once your water breaks you have a risk of getting an infection um more so because this fluid amniotic fluid is now not protecting the baby and the mucus plug is part of that i'm not a doctor but it's part of that like protective barrier so all of that happens um and i call the doula and she's like okay well it's pro it's most likely your water but you don't know until or your amniotic fluid you don't know until you're actually tested or you know obviously contractions will start happening and then you know that you're going into labor but just you know and you also can tell every time like you know it was trickling and then I would like sit down and then every time I would stand up it would be like if your underwear are getting wet and like things are getting wet all over again like it's there's something happening there <laughs> but of course I did not get any contractions you also call your doctor the doctor's office closed because it's after hours so there's like a nurse saying okay well if you're not feeling contractions within like five or six hours you need to go because that means that your body's not going into labor but your water broke and at that point there's a time limit here okay but so let's say okay that all happened what were you feeling when this was happening because yeah. it was two weeks early your water's breaking you're trying to figure out if it's like go time or what the yeah. hell to do with yourself it's covid we're just yeah. hoping that james can stay with you in the hospital what do you do how do you exactly feel? so the week before this he would not have been able to stay with me um and i was not quite that nervous about um like being a little early because at the last doctor appointment I'd been to, they're like, it's just a waiting game now. Like, yes, you're 38 weeks in one day and you should be 40 is considered full term. But of course, they're not really always super positive about conception date. So could I have been on time? Maybe. Could I have been even more early than I thought? Maybe. But at some point, I think it's after 36 weeks or something, like, it's okay to have the baby. Yes, obviously, the longer you go, the better. But, like, 38 weeks one day, it's, like, you're full term. You're just, like, it's a it's a waiting game at that point. Right. And every checkup I ever had, everything looked great. The last one, I the, everything was fine. The baby was in the right position, head down. Like, everything was good to go. So I wasn't worried about the timing-wise. But, yeah, I was more worried about, like, what labor pains were going to feel like and how it was all going to go. And I'm not wanting to have major surgery, meaning, like, a C-section. So I was, like, just apprehensive about that. But we finally go to the, we called the doula at like midnight and she's like, you don't have contractions yet. My water broke at six. She's like, you got to go. And I'm surprised she told me to go. Cause she was like, you stay at home and you labor as long as you can and wait till the contractions get this amount apart from each other, which means you're in real active labor. Then you go to the hospital and have the baby. That's what her advice was. Well, she's like, go to the hospital. I'm like, I'm not even in labor. Like, Oh my God. So I get there. It's like one 30 in the morning. They check my amniotic fluid and they're like, yes, it is amniotic fluid. You'd be surprised. It sometimes is not. I know it's trickling out of you, but it sometimes is not. So we have to check. 
nurse told me, by the way, it was heartbreaking the week before when we were all here and having to separate the mothers from their partners. It was really sad. Um, so you're, we're really glad that your partner can stay with you. Um, but they did tell me that there was um, a woman in the hospital that had twins and she named them COVID and Corona. No. So that was a thing. Oh my God. That person shouldn't be allowed to parent. I'm sorry. That person should have like someone come in and be like, you named your children that we're taking them from you. I mean, literally I'm not, you would never take someone's child from them like for that, but like I'm being funny, but also what the fuck? No, I'm, I'm a bit concerned because that's setting your kid up for failure for the rest of their lives. When when people find out they were born in 2020 and those are their names. Like that's, that's just not, it's a mean joke on their kids. So while we might be joking about taking that parent away from their kids, like that's a mean joke to play on your own kids. I, I agree. Anyway. So then they say, we're going to have to give you Pitocin. That is the drug that induces labor, makes your body jump starts labor because your water is broken, but your body's not going into labor. They said, you know, um, maybe he kicked the water bag and it broke that maybe that, you know, it's like your body didn't go into labor, like maybe, or whatever, who knows what it, there's a billion things could be happening, but that could be one of the things they might assume. So they start giving me Pitocin. It's, you know, given through a, in the intravenous, like whatever IV and you just sit there and, and you're kind of just like waiting to start feeling contractions. I, they give it to you in doses of two. So it starts out two, then they up it to four, then they up it to six, all the way up to like 22, I think, or 24. It's like the highest it goes. And I didn't feel anything until it got to 18. And that took hours. And I just sat there and was like, not feeling contractions. I didn't know how to feel about that. I could feel a little like spots of like tight on my belly throughout the process, but not a full on contractions. Then I started feeling them at about 18. And they were bad, bad cramps, like real bad. And they- Describe um, it. Like a cramp when you get your period or like when you got a poop or like what? You know, like a cramp when you get your period where it's just like your whole abdomen, like in the center of your abdomen, like in the center of your body. And it's like, it's cramping and you can't, you have to stop doing what you're doing. You're like, you know, I could breathe through them, but, um, it was, they were not nice. They were hard. It was a bare, like a muscle tightening cramp that, sends you into potentially like maybe making a noise that you're not really you don't totally have control over your body you're like like if you stub your toe and you like kind of it hurts so bad like at the peak of the pain that you sort of like grab it and make a noise you're you know like for that second yeah like it's hot. It really hurts. And you're like, ah, and you kind of, cl- maybe you fall over in a position that to like grab it to try to like stop the pain you're just sort of like doing whatever you can to stop the pain. It's like that peak of pain, but like for a long time. So you're like, you can't, you know, you're trying to just like work with it. And I was breathing through those and the nurse comes in and says, and I think I was doing those for, you know, an hour or so, or maybe more. We have to actually dial down the Pitocin because we also, it's a balance. It's a delicate balance. Like we want the, the contractions are happening the Pitocin is making your contractions happen too often and too much. And we don't want that, you know, naturally in your body when you're going through natural labor, they happen like every two minutes. And it's like a 
even ebb and flow of contraction and then rest and then contraction and then rest. And you're, you see this monitor next to your bed and it looks like a graph with like a wave going up and down steadily. And the peak of it is your contraction. And before, when I was having contractions before on like a level eight of Pitocin, you could see the contraction. I just could, I couldn't feel it personally. I don't know if it was a pain tolerance thing or what, but I just couldn't, didn't feel like anything to me. So Then they dialed down the Pitocin to like a 14 and I'm in my mind thinking, great, now they're going to go back down to like nothing and it's just going to take longer now. Like, ugh, you know, no, that's not what happened. (laughs) I think that when they dialed down the medication that was making my body go into contractions, I think my body took over and was like, oh, I'll do the contractions now. And the next contraction, which is like every minute or so at that point, I want to say, and, or it was like every two minutes, I think. And then the contractions about a minute, but it, it starts out like the first 10, it's like, you can feel it. You're like, Oh, here it comes. And then it peaks. And then it's like real intense for like 40 seconds. And then it dies down for the next like 10. So it's like a minute long, but most, the majority of it is like, anyway, that contraction happened. And I was like, Holy mother of God it is the most pain you will ever feel in your life. I don't, I mean, maybe if you're getting stabbed or something, then people who have had that happen to them know. But if you not have to have anything traumatic like that happen to you and you're just having a baby, this is going to be the most pain you've ever felt. It is, I mean, I looked up from that one contraction and said, if that happens again, I'm getting an epidural. It took me one time to say, oh no, fuck that shit. Now, wait, I have a question for you. So at any point, like you have a doula, you've got these doctor's appointments all the damn time. Do they tell you what to expect? Is it like a thing you read? Yes. She told me, she even showed me the doula um, pictures of what this woman was at at home birth, like what the, what it looked like when she was having a contraction, when not and explained the process and what it feels like and how to breathe through it and how it peaks and how it's intense and all of that. Obviously, you know, you don't know until you're in it. You can't describe the pain, but you can describe the process because it does have a, a like a format, if you will, that sort of happens. So, um, and it did happen that way. It just happened very quickly for me. Sometimes it takes someone 12 hours to do that. It took me like maybe less than four. I don't know why. That's just the way my body did it. But it, those contractions that, yes, I was aware that this is how it works. I just, I didn't know what to expect, how it felt. And I will tell you that it is not something that I think that I could have done from, I mean, maybe I would have done it if I had to do it for 10 hours. I just don't understand. I mean, I don't think people normally feel peak contractions for like 10 hours like that. I think it's like a shorter period of time, but you know, going through labor for that long, um, it didn't happen like that for me. I was in the hospital for a long time, but I didn't feel contractions for that long. It was like, like I said, three or something hours. Um, so by the time I went through a couple of those really intense, like full on labor contractions, there was maybe like a half hour of them or something. I was like, that's it. I'm getting the epidural. I can't do this. Like, I I don't care. I I felt them. I know that I don't want to feel them anymore. I'm all set. (laughs) So 
Then the anesthesiologist comes in and it takes time. Like it was probably another hour and a half until I stopped feeling contractions because they've got to get up there. They've got to prep you. They've got to wait. If you're having contraction, they can't put a big old needle in your back while you're like screaming in pain, which is what happens, by the way. I was like, I'll just breathe through it. I'm not going to be screaming. No, sorry. I was because it hurts so bad. It's like you can't control how to manage the pain. It For me, at least I couldn't. I was just like had to make a noise come out of my mouth because it hurt so bad. It didn't know what else to do. And, um, you're crying. You're just like, make it stop. It's all of that. It's bad. It's really bad. I would do it again tomorrow because you get through it, but it's like, it is really intense. Um, and then, you know, they gave me the epidural finally. And I sat there for another probably 15 minutes feeling contractions. And I saw the midwife in the room go, hmm, maybe we need to get the anesthesiologist back in here. And I looked up at her and was like, are you telling me this didn't work? <gasps> like, because I think there is a small chance that it doesn't work for some people. Really? And I was like, because, yes, because, you know, it just it just it has happened and I'm like I will throw myself out of this window right now like I was just like don't let another one come and then another one would come and I'd be like when is this gonna stop and then right after that happened they stopped so right after I think the next contraction was like very dialed down and then the next one I could barely feel and then that was it it was like oh thank god and then you're just laying there you're like oh this is great like it was like you just went from the worst thing ever to like normal laying in a bed. You're like, I'm back. Here I am. And in between contractions, by the way, you're totally normal. It's nothing's happening. It's like, and then you're normal again. But of course you're like tired and kind of like, just like bracing for the next one, but you're not feeling shit. You're just sitting there. So when you have a contraction while you're on an epidural, what is that like? Well, I could still kind of feel them. Um, just like a little bit of pressure little bit of tightening, almost like if you tighten your fist a little bit and then let it go and tighten your fist a little, it's like that. Like it doesn't feel like a pain. It just feels like a tightening. Um, like if you tighten your muscle or tighten like your butt muscle or something, it just feels like a little bit like something's going on, but you can't really tell. They kind of, so basically then you get to the point where you, you push during a contraction. If you have an epidural, you can't feel the contraction. So they see it on the monitor and say, here comes a contraction, start pushing. But we'll get to that in a second. So I don't have the, I have the epidural. It finally kicked in. That's it, right? I'm like, great, I'm all set. They have not checked me at all since I've been there to see how dilated I am, to see any of the things. Because when your water breaks, they don't want to put anything up your vagina because they don't want to do it unnecessarily and cause a potential risk for infection. So they really wait until it's like, let's check. So finally I'm numb and she's like, okay, I'll check you now. And literally it's been two minutes since my epidural kicked in. I'll check you right now. She checks me. She goes, yeah, you're completely ready to go. <laughs> I'm like, so I just did that whole thing without a fucking epidural. <laughs> God, had I not had the epidural and they decided to check me, they would have been like, start pushing right now because you're ready to go and you want to like just be done with it. But because I had the epidural, they checked me. I was ready to go. They said, we're going to let you rest for a second. We'll come back. We're going to take a lunch break. We're going to get the doctor in here. Probably a half hour, 45 minutes later, they come back in. They start getting me prepped. Like, you know, they put your feet in the stirrup. So like getting you ready. And they're like, let's practice pushing. And the midwife's in there. And I practiced 
you know, you have to wait for the contraction. So I practiced like three times maybe. And they're like, okay, you're all set. Here's the doctor. She comes in. I pushed once. She said, all right, let's do it one more time. I pushed again. She said, the next push, the baby's coming out. So then I did that. She said, she did say though, when the baby comes out, you need to know their face is blue. Their hands and feet are purple. Like, don't get scared. This is what they look like. Okay. Then she also said, you know, she wanted James to like hold my foot in my leg and then he did it. And she goes, hold on, stop. You're not doing it right. Men always try to do it real hard. You're trying to pull her leg back. Don't do that. Just hold her leg. That's all you need to do. She What's was the quite funny. of the leg about and the foot? Because you have to be in a certain position to have the baby. Like there's different ones that people, you know, you can be on like your all fours. When you're in a hospital, it's pretty like laying in a bed. But like if you're at home, you can like be on your hands and knees. You can be in like a squatting position. I mean, those make more sense if you think about gravity yeah. helping you. Like laying down in a bed with a numb body is probably not the way to push a baby out, but I did. So, um, and so, you know, you're laying in a bed, but you've got to like pull yourself forward, right? Like it's almost like imagine holding your own legs, like put your, put your, like a yoga position, right? Put your hands around like the arches of your feet and like pull your neck forward. Like you're trying to push everything. You're using everything you can to get this out. You can't really feel anything when you have an epidural. So you've got to know, like, if you've got a strong core, like it's helpful, Um, and you just, I just had to not, I just had to figure out how to push, right? Like, don't put all the energy in your face. Like you're, the doctor just said, you're doing this right. Like, this is how you do it. Like, that's why it's happening so fast. I did not have to push for three hours. Like some people do, or end up having a C-section. Like it just maybe the anatomy of my body, maybe the way I was pushing all the things. And so then she said, I'm going to, when his head comes out, you have to stop pushing for a second. I'm going to tell you to stop because I think they like do some suctioning or something. And then you push the rest of them out. And that's what happened. Like you push and push and push. And then all of a sudden you see right there, there's a head just like, there it is. (laughs) And you're like, and nothing's happening. It's just the baby's head. And you're like, crying at that point or not yet. Oh no, they're totally just baby head, like nothing (laughs) head. And then she's like, wait a second. And then, you know, the rest of the push, she pull, kind of pulls him out and then she's cleaning him off and all that. And then, yeah, he just laid on me for like the next hour. They don't really do anything um, right away. You know, the weight is the weight and all of that. So they just eventually took him and did that. But yeah, he was, didn't really cry all that much. And he was quite small. He was like five pounds, 12 ounce, or I think five pounds, 12 ounces. Yeah. Which is pretty small. Um, and his head was normal sized, although I was told it was going to be large. Um, and yeah, it was, oh, and then we still didn't have a name. Um, you know, Austin was in the running, but we just weren't really sure. Like, and then I, this is going to sound really lame, but I, we were weighing towards that obviously. And there was like, you know, you can't eat before you have a baby, you can only have like ice chips and like Italian ices and like jello and things like poop or why? I think it's because if you want to have the epidural, it's like anesthesia kind of. And so they can't really, I think that's why I forgot. Okay. So finally I could eat. And so there were some crackers on the table that were like there from James. They were bringing him stuff. And I went to rip them open and it said Austin on the package. Well, that's a sign if we've ever heard one. It was like the name of the cracker company or something. And I was like, well, I'm not naming my baby after a cracker company, obviously. But it was like, hello, just name the baby Austin. Like, I thought I was going to be way more like 
dissecting about the names, you know, like, oh, should it be this? Should it be that? I mean, I did hem and haw a lot, but I just went, okay, fine. It's Austin. And just named him that. And then, yeah, we, we went home like the next day, everything, um, you know, they, they just monitor you to make sure that you're not bleeding, that the baby's okay. And then they send you home and we came home and he's been pretty good. He's been, you know, um, like eating and sleeping well. He's a pretty easy baby as far as I know. So that's been, that's been good too. Well, so, okay. You have him after all that pain and the pushing and the like not pushing and the not pain and like the roller coaster <laughs> that it was yes. and then it ends and then yeah. you're holding him. Like, do you love him immediately? Or are you like, Oh my God, you just killed my abdomen or like you are covered in goo. Like, do you just look at him and you're like, Oh my God, I'm obsessed with you. How does it work? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And no, like, I think it was like shocking kind of, it was like, Oh my God, here he is. Like, what do I do? Like, you're also like, look, cause you've been waiting to see what is this baby going to look like? Like, and so I'm looking at him like, he looks like my grandpa. Like I'm like trying to figure out, I'm like, you know, yes, of course you love them right away, but you're also like very protective too. Like, okay. Like, um, is he okay all the time? Like he's in the little bassinet next to you and you're just like, you know, making sure he's okay. And like, they're, they're, but when you're at the hospital, the hospital, the nurses and everything, which is great. They're in there like every hour or two, like doing something. So you're not really like alone with them that much. Like the only time they took him out of the room was for the circumcision and we couldn't go. Normally you can go, but we couldn't go because of COVID. So they had to take him and we weren't jazzed about that. Um, but other than that, there he's was just with us and everything was um, just kind of fine. He just didn't really even cry that much, to be quite honest with you. You know, when they come in and teach you how to like breastfeed. And so we were trying to do that. Um, and he didn't have like very many issues with that either. And like, it just also takes a second to find your rhythm. Like now I've finally figured out like it's not as uncomfortable as it used to be and how to like position myself to hold him in a way that I can relax and not be like all in some weird position. Like my neck was hurting at first because I was like in a weird hunched position. I also got mother's thumb. That's a thing. What is everyone. That? It sounds like, oh, like what is it? A green thumb? It's not fun. It is a tendon from going from your thumb down like, your side of your wrist and it becomes inflamed from holding the baby and like breastfeeding in a way where you're like almost like imagine holding a like rounding your arm like a ballet arm almost you know but like down kind of by your boob it's like your bent elbow round arm like holding a baby's head by your boob so kind of like holding a football yes yeah kind of um yeah like if your left hand is holding a baby's head on your right boob Got it. And your hand is like, you know, your wrist is bent around the baby's head. You're like holding it and it can inflame that tendon. And then it rubs against the tunnel that the tendon is housed in. And it freaking hurts every time you move your wrist in a certain way. And it's not going away. It's hard to pick the baby up. It's hard to do like anything really with my left hand. Is Thank God. a remedy for that? Like, what do you do? wearing a brace and hoping that it goes away. Oh my goodness. All the things from bringing life into this world. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but, and listen, it could be worse. I'm fine with the mother's thumb. It's just annoying. Cause it's, it's pretty sensitive. I will say it takes not a lot to like make it feel like someone's like ripping your tendon. But like, this is the first I've ever heard of this. And like, I've, I've never heard of it. Right. And like, that's the thing. And I think 
I've been waiting for you to have a baby because, well, to like actually go through the birth process because I know you would be super honest about all of the different parts. Like what I hate is when people like soften it and like sort of um, give the euphemistic version of it. Like, oh, it's the most beautiful day of my life. And I'm like, but please share the details. Kind of like when people say like, just manifest it. Like, what does that mean? I need to understand. No, it's, it's really, for me, it was really nerve wracking. I was scared. Yeah. Like that's the honest truth. And even when I, it, I was scared about the pain. And then when the pain went away, I was still scared. Like this is a child coming into the world. Like it's all about to happen. Like, oh my God, it was so intense that it was just like scary. Right. Like I was nervous about this life altering change that was about to happen. Like it just is nerve wracking. I think, I don't know. It's just, I mean, it's such a big thing that I was scared. I was just like, what do I, not that, not of anything specific, just in general, like, oh my God. Life into this world. And like, you haven't done it before. I mean, I think maybe second children are probably easier because you know what to expect and you are got a groove going, but like, and you've already had him for what, five weeks. Yes. So like you just said, you've got a groove happening now. And like, imagine you've got a real groove going with first kid and then if the second kid comes, so you're prepared. So it takes yeah. away the like, um, uncertainty of what I mean, granted there are different things that happen with each pregnancy and each labor, but you generally have a sense of what is to come. So in this case, yeah. you also had a baby um, like amidst COVID and all the rules were changing daily. And then you have this thing and you bring him home, but also you were a nanny for several years. Like having your own kid is different than having somebody else's kid. Oh yeah, for sure. It is. And I knew it would be, I just didn't know how, but it is totally different. Cause you're just like on another level, like in loving the child and looking at the child and caring for the child. I clearly never like actually mothered a child, but done, gone through some of the motions with other people's children, but this is on another level. So yeah, it, it, it has helped to have been a nanny for so long because there's a lot of things that are familiar to me. Like I know I've changed probably 4 million diapers before, and I know this and I know that just from knowing, but obviously you figure stuff out too. I didn't really read any books or anything. Like I just like, ask questions to that's like the way my brain works like if I have a question about something I will either look up that thing or ask a friend like what did you do or is this normal or you know and that I just like we say I just accessed my village that's how I did it but I also had references from before like just because of my job so um I I knew that if something came up that I didn't get or know about that I would just ask somebody instead of like reading this book and that book and like making a game plan. I just didn't do that. Didn't do it like that. Not that that's not a smart way to do it. It's just not the way I did it. Yeah. But yeah, it, it okay. is without. Yeah. So I think that's important now. So, okay. We know that we landed on Austin. You are one to call people all sorts of things that have nothing to do with their name at all. What are you calling him? Well, obviously we call him creature like, Still? Because we called him that before. We'll say it more about like things that belong to him. Like I'm going into Creature's room or, but I don't look at him and say, hi, Creature. Like I don't do that. It's like when you're talking about him. Okay. But I call him um, Handsome Boy, like I did to my cat. (laughs) Yeah. And also like you call James, but okay, carry on. Yeah. Like I'll be like, hi, Handsome Boy. 
you know, like I don't think I ever even really call him Austin. So right now he's handsome boy or handsome guy or, um, but I'm sure, yeah, James tries to call him Austin, but because I think he's like, shouldn't we be calling him by his name? But like, (laughs) don't really do it. You know, someone else one day will call him his name. It's not going to be any of us because that's just not going to be natural. Yeah. his school friends will like, I would assume that like your stepdaughter will call him something more normal. Not. Yeah. She's like, who's Austin. She still calls him creature or like just the baby or, you know, um, and yeah, he, and Oh, when I, we call him bubbies. Oh, well, of course. Cause you know, yeah. anyone we love is bubbies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Standard. I mean, not surprised. Obviously, it will change once he's like old enough to be responding. You're gonna call him Austin, so he gets it. But like right now, he's just sitting there. So you're like, you know, yeah. So you can call him whatever you want, and that's fine as long as it's expressing love, which is our goal here. So, like a couple more questions that I'll cover today with you because I have seventy thousand of them. Like I mentioned, that number will keep growing. So let's just my exaggeration is gonna keep growing. Um, Great. Okay, so like you didn't get to have a baby shower, but people did send you gifts. Did you like have everything you needed? Were you like literally the only thing you need is this one thing? What's the things you need when you bring a human being home from the hospital? Car seat. They won't let you leave without a car seat. Um, And diapers, which the hospital gives you. So, I mean, obviously you'll need more. They go through like a lot in a day and more so as they eat more. Like at first it's not that much and then... Um, then, you know, it's like every hour or something, but, um, diapers. Yeah. And just something to keep them warm, like a blankie and some, some clothes, but like onesies and stuff. He was so small that even the newborn stuff was big on him. Now he's like eight plus pounds. So he's like the size of a baby when a baby is born. Um, and five pounds is also, I mean, a lot of people have five pound babies, but it is small. It's like, you know, um, but yeah, I would say you just need diapers and a car seat and unless you have the baby at home, you don't need a car seat. Right. Um, well, until you decide to go somewhere. But if you're breastfeeding, then you really just need breast milk and something to keep them warm. They're very sensitive to temperature and they need to be like, you know, warm. But other than that, no, you don't, there's nothing that you really need. And I was sort of scrambling to get things done because of not having a baby shower and then like trying to buy things. Then people started giving me a bunch of things and then things just started piling. And now I just went through a bag today that a friend gave me and I'm not keeping anything she gave me because I'm like, I have so much stuff. Like people give you so much clothes and so many different things to sit them in. And you're just like, you know, you just don't know what you're going to need. Is this clothes going to fit them? Is it going to be hot? Is it going to be cold? Is he going to like this swing? No, because you have a swing and then you have a mama and you have a bassinet. Like they, if they don't like it, you can't leave them in it. Like, you know, it's like trial and error. So it's like nice to have some options, but like there is a lot of stuff you don't need. You don't need anything except for breast milk and diapers and something to keep them warm. Well, and the bassinet thing, at least so they sleep in it. Yeah, you're not supposed to like exactly somewhere for them to sleep that's not in the bed with you because you can't do that. They roll might roll over and suffocate and all the things. So that yeah, would be a waste of all that ten months. I would like to venture into how this all 
has affected your relationship because, you know, you were dating, then you were engaged, then you were living together, then you were pregnant, and now you've got this new creature in the world and he's here. So how has that changed your relationship? And is it like bringing you closer? Is it different than you'd expected? Or is it exactly what you thought? I think it's, it's brings you closer for sure. I think obviously watching your partner with this thing that you created together, it makes you fall in love more. And, um, I think we're both very helpful for each other. There's only certain things that I can do like breastfeed and things like that. So, you know, we, I think we work well together. Um, and it's just, again, I think I've said this before, but it's, it's just, um, emphasizing that I think we're a pretty good team. Like at night, you know, I'm staying home with the baby during the day. So while sometimes that's tiring because, you know, like I feed him, I, you know, change his diaper after that whole process is over. It's been like an hour or so he eats every like two and a half, three hours. Like there's not a lot of time then in between the next time that needs to happen. So sometimes you want to break and you want him to fall asleep and you got to hold him because he's getting kind of fussy and you can't put him down and go do something like I can do all of that by myself, but it's helpful if James is here and sometimes it works out that he is so he can like feed him the bottle after I breastfeed. That's what we're doing. I'm breastfeeding and then pumping and feeding him breast milk through a bottle just to make sure that he's getting the right amount of ounces because I'm not like totally measuring, but you just don't know when you're breastfeeding how much they're eating. So if you especially have a baby that's a little bit underweight, like he was five and a half pounds, you want to, the doctors will tell you, like, make sure you're at least giving an ounce of, you can do formula or breast milk, whatever you want, something to supplement the fact that you don't know how much ounces they're getting when you're breastfeeding. So um, he can help in that way. And he will, he will take him and, and bottle feed him or, you know, at night. When I have to get up to feed him, I won't wake up James. I will take him out of the room and go in the living room and breastfeed and bottle feed and then bring him back because James has to go do manual labor during the day and he can't be tired. So, you know, um, I can, you know, sit at home and relax if the baby falls asleep. I can nap. So it's like trying to figure out the balance of like how the teamwork is happening. And I think that we... um, are doing a good job of that. And yeah, I think that it's kind of what I expected. And, um, you know, I think that it's also when we do have Bella, she is here and she wants to be very helpful and involved, but it does give me a little bit of anxiety because she's a young kid and she wants to like pick the baby up and burp the baby and change the baby's diapers. And it makes me nervous because she's 10. Like, you know, like I think it would for anybody. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. So it's finding the balance of like involving her and helping her, letting her help and then also making sure that like everybody's safe. Right. So that, you know, that is something that we're also like figuring out the balance of and balancing like our lives and, and the baby and, and just continuing to like also want to do like shower and do regular things. Yeah. So that's like something everyone, all new mothers say that they like don't even sometimes have the time to shower because of what you just described. Like it's a schedule and there's always something happening. There's so many moving parts and you're also exhausted because you're waking up in the middle of the night. So like, have you found that you're able to still do anything for yourself or what are you actually trying to do for yourself and making the time for? Yeah, it is hard. Like I'll put him in something while I'm showering, like a little, you know, 
seat or swing or whatever. There's like a million different versions of that. But yeah, they start like fussing and you feel bad. Like, oh, you know, you got to hurry up and get out of the shower or whatever. Um, But yeah, you can like make it happen. It's just hard. Like sometimes though, I have a plan to like go through like the Amazon receipts and like write thank you notes. And like, I just don't get to it because by the time he sat down, I fed him and he's finally fallen asleep. And like, I put him down on like the little boppy and like let him sleep. Then I'm like, Oh shit, I should probably make something to eat for lunch. And then you do that. And then like all of a sudden there's 20 minutes and he's going to like want to eat again. And you're like, I don't 20, like you can start a project, but then just nothing ever gets finished because it's like that all day long. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you have a partner or someone there to help, my mom was here to help. There were times where I could just be like, I'm going to go do this and like give the baby to the person. But if you're alone with the baby, it's harder because yeah, you don't, you have a limited amount of time and only so many arms. Well, and that's why we say it takes a village because you really do need all the help you can get, whether it's you need your partner or you parent or your friends, you have people around you. And I think sometimes we all feel like we want to be able to do things alone or we don't want to burden other people because they're going through their own life stuff and like we don't want to ask for help. But really the only way to get by is with help in any area of our lives. We're not living these lives alone. And I think a lot of what we've been talking about today is how we're all connected and how everything does actually affect us. That's that's all we can do. And and we did talk about this side note a little bit, um, like you were asking questions about relationships and stuff. And obviously, like, you know, the romance and the sex and all of that, that's different now, because obviously, well, you're not supposed to have sex until like six weeks or whatever. I think that like, you know, I think that it depends on like you and how you're feeling like I and it depends on the type of pregnancy you have, like have had and the type of birth you have had, like, I probably think that it would be fine for me to like, actually have intercourse if we're speaking like about romance and relationships and connectivity and stuff. But like, it's like, uh, like, also, I don't know, I just feel like my body could probably do it. And like, you want to like, get back into that and stuff. But then like, also breastfeeding is super weird, right? Like, for me personally, I haven't had a problem breastfeeding or like producing milk. But by the way, just in case you didn't know this, people, when your milk comes in, like your breasts get like, it hurts kind of like, it's like you feel it's like, oh my God, ow, it kind of stings, right? Like when you can like feel it happening. And it if you touch your boob, it feels like bones are in your boob. Like uh, maybe that's like the milk ducts or, ducts or something, but you can like feel them. So then like, you know, you're also like, do I really like, you don't really like want parts of your body touched really. Cause you're like, that doesn't, that's not like normal, you know, like that's weird. Like it's like sensitive and weird. And like, I don't know. So like there's different factors that people need to come in to need to think about when you're thinking about like starting the rom- romance back up in your relationship. It's not just like, can I have sex? Because it's been six weeks. Like there's other things that come into play here. Like just maybe feeling tired or not that's not really an issue for me but stuff like that where you're just like oh that's going to be different how do I wrap wrap my brain around like different body parts like having different functions all of a sudden I also feel like I can work out now and it's only been about five weeks but I think I can like nothing's weird or abnormal like I think I could probably do it am I going to go do like a CrossFit workout no but could I do like something pretty simple yeah I think I could So you just have to pay attention to like what feels right for you, like sexually, and then like 
mentally getting your body back to like where you want it to be and for feeling normal and healthy, not for any other purpose really, or whatever. I always feel terrible about when I see or hear somebody say is that like, they just wish that they were back to normal and like looked how they looked, you know, pre baby. And it's like, well, at some point also like, is the goal to be healthy for the baby? Is the goal to be healthy for yourself? There's like COVID going around. Like you've got to also like wake up earlier and your your cadence is all off. And like, yeah, ultimately the priorities are really now driven toward feeding and keeping alive this like time. Oh, for sure. So if you have time even, like, right. you know what I mean? Like, do I even have time to like, I mean, I guess I do. I do have time to like YouTube a 20 minute workout. I could do it. But like, I'm just saying like, I just haven't yet. Cause I'm like, well, I feel like I can though, but I'm also like, eh, I'm not really motivated because I haven't done it for so long. But like, I think the goal there is to pay attention to how you feel. Like the doctors give you this number, but like, could you have sex before? Sure. Could, do you maybe need to wait eight weeks to have sex? Maybe for you? Yeah. Like, do you want to work out? Do you want to go take like a brisk walk and like maybe bring some arm weights and like get sweaty? Like, sure. You could do that at like five weeks, probably. Like if that feels fine for you, do it. That's a workout. Like, you know, I'm not going to get on a Peloton and like do that. But like, you know, I just think you need to pay attention to, it's not so black and white, but you need to pay attention to like how your body feels and how that's affecting you and how you can get yourself back into a routine of like normalcy. If that feels good for you to like have a routine, I know it does for me, then that will be helpful to start injecting some of that stuff, like showering and like (laughs) getting dressed and putting on makeup. And like also part of the reason why you don't feel like getting dressed is not just because like, I don't have time and I'm not going anywhere, but like nothing fits. So like, what the fuck am I going to put on? Like, and really I'm what ultimately like my point and what I said was that like, don't put unnecessary pressures on yourself that aren't oh, yeah. because like what you're saying exactly is do what feels right. And like, we don't need to hear the outside, the outside noise of like, you need to get your body back at six weeks or you need to have sex because your spouse will leave you if it's not six weeks. Like, no, hopefully you're with somebody who loves you and also thinks what you did with your body is beautiful and is understanding and also probably equally tired. Um, yes. Whatever the case may be, but like, what you're saying makes so much sense. It's like, could you do the things? Possibly. Is that necessarily your priority or does it feel right? Maybe not. Or also like, does it make you happy and bring you joy? Like do those things. Exactly. And it's going to look different for everybody. Obviously you're not going to have sex the first week after you have a baby, but like, could you do it after three or four or five or 10? Maybe. Yeah. Like it's different for everybody, but pay. all I'm saying is I could tell when I got to a point where I'm like, that can probably happen now. Well, and does it align with what the doctor said? Pretty much, but it's not exact. So it's not an exact science, you know. Do you think pregnancy has helped you become more in touch with your body and like all of its functions? Yes, I think so. Although nothing, like I said, you know, in the past shows while pregnant, like nothing really extreme happened. So I wasn't like, oh my God, like, my, you know, sense of smell was weird or like it didn't heighten any of the functions of my body really. But yeah, it does remind you like your body did this thing that you also kind of don't have control over. Thank God the control that I didn't have over it was 
good because sometimes you don't have control and then something happens like you go into premature labor or you have some sort of a thing that pops up due to pregnancy like a weird blood pressure thing or some sort of syndrome happens like to your body like you get preeclampsia or you get whatever tons of things can happen but none of the lack of control that I had ended up being like extreme or bad it just did its own thing right like yeah my body just uh, I guess, yeah, I guess I should look at it that way, like pay attention to what my body did and like congratulate my body and be thankful because it did it. I didn't do anything. It just my body did it. I didn't have control over what was going on, you know. Um, I'm thankful that my body did what it did and that it worked out great and that it was healthy and safe and like smooth. But that's not always the case. And it could be scary because you don't have control over how that's going to look. Um, and mine just happened to look pretty smooth and was was not like nice for lack of a better word. But yeah, it is definitely makes you think like it just sort of all happened. I mean, the the labor was induced by a drug, but like, you know, it still kind of happened. Like my body took over at some point. So pretty wild what a uh, mother nature can do. And like what like we don't you know, we could get um, plastic surgery and we could change ourselves in a certain way. But like at the end of the day, like biology is biology and females are able to do things that males are not and vice versa. And like, you just made a human pop out of you. And like, and then breastfeeding, it's so, it's so bizarre. You're like, I'm feeding this thing. Like I'm making a milk type substance and feeding a child. (laughs) Like, and it's super weird too, right? Because like, if he cries, like sometimes I can feel like my milk coming in. It's not always like that exact science, but he'll start crying and I'm like, oh my God, that hurts. It's so weird. And, and my doula told me, you guys may not know this, that when you put the, like the reason why they say like skin to skin after birth um, is very important. Like the first obviously moment and then couple days, because it regulates the baby's heart rate to put them on you. Your heart rate regulates their heart rate. What? Um, Body temperature regulates their body temperature. Your blood sugar regulates their blood sugar. Your breathing regulates their breathing. Like it is fucking bizarre. It is not a theory. It is a scientific fact. And it's like beautiful. Like I, you know how people say like science is so sciencey and it's like not, um, super I guess there's like the science and then there's the spirituality or the religion side of everybody's like mind or two viewpoints competing viewpoints but like there's science that brings beauty also so like the fact that your baby truly does need you to regulate certain things for him means that you are again back to the same thought all connected and you feel like you're making milk when he's crying because he needs you and like we you know, talk about like how we feel we need love and we need certain things to survive. Like your baby does need you. Yeah. Sounds made up, right? Like if you were like the baby cries and then you produce milk, you're like, yeah, okay. No, but yeah, like that's that's how it works. It's super weird. And then when it's happening, you're like, no, that's not really what's happening. Cause it doesn't always happen like that, but it does. And then you're like, oh my God, that's fucking weird. It's like, (laughs) feels like a movie which is kind of how the world feels like today too. So it's all like this weird, we're in Hollywood, we're in a movie. It's like, there's a reality show happening, but like not. I said that today. I was like, I feel like I'm being punked or I'm in the Truman show. And like, not that like history hasn't had its ebbs and flows and there's always been wars and there's always been 
civil issues and there's always sadly been race issues. Um, there hasn't been necessarily COVID for the last like hundred years. There was a different flu pandemic, but like that is few and far between, but, um, it does feel like a very surreal time and you've got a baby on top of that and you're living out these crazy biological moments of beauty. And I can't even imagine how it is again for you on a daily basis, but you are doing your best living moment to moment and appreciating what you have. And that's all we can. And we're happy that you are back. You are healthy. Your baby is now a part of our village and he's here to smother when the time is right with all the love in the world. And Creature has finally, you know, made his grand entrance into this party. So hopefully we can turn more into a party because it's, we need that. Oh yeah. Oh, we definitely need it. And yeah, it's, you know, every, the, the other thing too is, is that I know there are other mothers that are like having babies in this process right now. I'm not the only one. Like if we think about this right now, like we're, we all are experiencing this in one way or another. And while Jen might not be experiencing having a baby, I know there are millions of other women that are doing this. And there is unfortunately millions of other people who are experiencing racism and millions of other people who are trying to figure out how they can make a change. And I know that everyone's, and you know, unfortunately there's also a lot of people who have gotten affected by COVID and who have been sick or know somebody who's been sick or all of that. So just, at least for me that that kind of always helps in some ways it's sad but like that you're not alone um and sometimes you you want it to be alone like you don't want anybody to be experiencing racism like you don't even want one person to have to feel that but we're all experiencing these things and to me sometimes it helps me to think certain things are helpful to think that like i'm not alone like there's a lot of people doing this so well, you know what i think to that it's like kind of the opposite of the victim mentality because if it's only you you're the victim if it's more than you then you know you're not alone there are other people a to turn to for advice other people who can share in your experience other people who can empathize well i'm thankful that you're back and that we are going through this together and everyone listening thanks so much for taking the time to escape from what's going on in the world to escape you know from the various situations that you're encountering to listen to our show. Hopefully this has been helpful, um, whether you agree with us or not, or maybe we've opened your eyes to how we feel. Either way, we don't fault anybody for feeling how they feel. Of course, unless it's hatred, we don't like you. But again, somebody screwed you up and that's their fault. And hopefully love will breed into your life in some way and things will hopefully turn around because we are all connected as friends, brothers, sisters, now new moms. Soon it's Father's Day, and we hope that you find the moments of love and light in your lives right now, whatever the hell that might look like. We hope it turns around for you. We're super pumped for our next week's episode, so don't forget to tune into that because we have some dating and relationshipy stuff with our guest, Sharon Yadiger. She's of LA Mom Magazine, so make sure to listen to that because we're going to be talking more mom stuff. And don't forget to join the class of master daters and follow us on all the social meds at complicated show. And then you can listen to us wherever you get any of your podcasts and you can follow me at Lauren Leonelli. And you can follow me at Jennifer Golden. We'll be back next week. Love you long time. You're 
listening to It's Complicated with your hosts, Jennifer Golden and Lauren Leonelli. 